History is full of incredible accounts of survival, stories that remind us of just how much we can endure when we need to. And this one is a doozy. By the way, huge shout out and thank you to Dennis, my newest patron. It's support like yours that allows this podcast to survive. Statistically, air travel is the safest form of transportation in the world. According to the Dutch aviation consulting firm called 270, there were 40 airplane accidents in 2020, which resulted in 299 fatalities. That was a bit of a bump up from the 257 fatalities in 2019. I hope you're not listening to this while you're on an airplane. I probably should have led with that. But even if you are on a plane, you're in the safest place you could be while traveling. And we've all heard the statistics on that. The old, you're more likely to get into a crash on your way to the airport than while on the plane. But although we know that, when we're way up there at 30,000 feet, higher than most people who have ever lived, have ever been, and that turbulence starts to set in, it still feels a bit unsettling. I think we all feel some relief when the plane finally touches down and we know we've made it to wherever it is we're going. But despite the fact that only one out of every 3.7 million flights winds up having at least one fatality, that one means disaster still strikes for someone. This episode is about that someone. But it wasn't just a plane crash and a 3,000-meter or 10,000-foot fall that she had to contend with when Lanza Flight 508 was sent careening in a metal wreck towards the ground. In 1971, when 17-year-old Juliana Kupka somehow managed to survive falling nearly two miles from the sky, she landed in the Peruvian jungle, broken and miles from anyone in the Amazon. She was injured alone, and despite the overwhelming odds, determined to survive. Come hear her story. I'm your host, Kristen Robine-Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside. Juliana Kupka was born the same year The Lord of the Rings was published. If you're incredible at trivia or just an awesome nerd, you'll know that was 1954. She was born in Lima, Peru. Her parents had met when they were students at the University of Kiel in Germany. They both received their doctorates, having studied zoology and natural sciences. They moved to Peru in 1950 to work at the Javier Prado Museum of Natural History. Her mother, Maria, was a noted ornithologist. Birds were her specialty. She collected over 1,500 specimens and discovered 14 new species. She illustrated her own papers, and the drawings she did of these birds are picture-perfect. She became head of the bird and mammal section of the museum in 1952. Her work is still referenced today. Her paper on birds of the western Peruvian deserts is a classic in the field of ornithology. She even has a few species named after her. Her enthusiasm for her work and her vitality are described as having been contagious. Juliana's father, Hans Wilhelm, was the chair of ichthyology at the museum, and he was enamored with the marine invertebrates and fishes of Peru's waters. 
he would publish many works, including a 320-page monograph on Peruvian ecology and a huge two-volume work of over 1,600 pages on biological theory. They did much more than take care of dusty specimens in a museum. They explored, explored everywhere they could, carrying out scientific expeditions in Peru's Pacific coastal habitats, the Andes, and the Amazon, scouting for new species and taking meticulous notes on the plants and animals they saw along the way. After some years of this, in 1967, they decided to move into the Amazon rainforest, just west of the Andes. They wanted to continue their life's work there, describing and understanding the biodiversity of Peru. They moved to a small parcel of land on a tributary of the Rio Pachitea, where they established a research station they named Panguana, after one of the birds in the region. It was perfect, beautiful, full of life, and quite the backyard for their 13-year-old daughter and only child, Juliana. She had an innate love of learning, no surprise considering how her parents valued learning and she learned as they did about the plants, animals, and geography of Peru. Her parents taught her survival skills, something that would later save her life. And that's how she spent most of her teenage years, in the jungle, learning and exploring. It sounds like a childhood the kid in me would be hopelessly jealous of. She was homeschooled at Pinguana, but when Juliana was 17, she had to return to Lima to take her final exams in December before she could graduate high school. Her mother, Maria, went with her. The exams were a success, and the two planned on heading back to Panguana afterwards, but Juliana wanted to attend her graduation ceremony, which was on December 23rd. So they waited a few more days in Lima, Juliana excitedly awaiting her graduation ceremony. That is such an exciting time in a young person's life. It's one of the first big accomplishments that really hits. At that age, the future seems intimidating, but exciting an unknowable phenomenon made up of pure potential. But the immediate future for Juliana was going to be much different than anything she had planned. They managed to book a flight on Christmas Eve. The plan was to fly from Lima to Pucallpa, a city resting on one of the major tributaries of the Amazon River. They would meet Juliana's father, Hans William, there before heading back to the research station. They booked a flight with Lanza, an airline that didn't have a great reputation. Already that year, they'd had two crashes. Maria and Juliana knew this, but it was their last chance to make it home in time for Christmas. Besides, the flight from Lima to Pucallpa only took around an hour. What could go wrong in an hour? Juliana recalled later how she and her mother were upset because the flight was delayed. They had to wait an extra seven hours for their plane to arrive. It was a Lockheed L-188 Electra, these planes were built between 1957 and 1961, with only 170 of them ever being built. Production stopped due to concerns over the plane's engineering. After a couple of fatal crashes in 1959 and 1960, the public lost confidence in the plane's design, despite Lockheed implementing an expensive modification program. Juliana and her mother Maria boarded Lanza Flight 508 on December 24, 1971. There were 92 people on board, 86 passengers, and 6 crew. Everything went smoothly, and the weather seemed to cooperate on their short flight for the first half hour. The clouds were turning dark, and a thunderstorm began brewing. 
When they flew into the thick, black clouds, Juliana recalled later how her mother grew anxious. But Juliana stayed calm. She liked flying and was certain they would come out the other side of the storm. About ten minutes after hitting the clouds, the plane began to shake. That rumbling of the cabin that causes most of us to feel just a little uneasy in the air. The turbulence grew from unsettling to terrifying. The plane seemed to jump up and down in the air. Luggage began falling, Christmas gifts and cakes went flying around the cabin. When the passengers looked outside, they could see lightning flashing all around them. They were trapped in the storm. Juliana and her mother clasped hands. Some of the other passengers began to cry. Some began to scream. Then, lightning struck the plane. It hit one of the wings and caused the plane to start breaking apart. Maria and Juliana both saw the bright flash of lightning hit the plane. In that moment, she heard her mother say, This is the end. It's all over. Those were the last words she would ever hear her mother say. The plane went into a nosedive. It was pitch black. Juliana later said the screams from the other passengers and the roar of the engines filled her head completely. A moment later, the plane completely broke apart. Suddenly, the noise stopped in what she would later describe as an amazing silence. And she knew she was now outside of the plane at 10,000 feet, nearly two miles up in the air. She was in freefall, still strapped to the row of seats, careening towards the earth. All she could hear was the wind. She felt completely alone. She could see the jungle canopy spinning towards her as she fell. It was then that she lost consciousness. The unconscious Juliana, still strapped to her row of seats, continued to fall, crashing into the jungle below. She doesn't remember the impact, just waking up the next day, the jungle canopy looming over her. She called out for her mother, but there was no response. Of the 92 people who had been on that plane, she was the only one who survived. But surviving the crash was not enough, because now she was alone, injured, and lost in the Amazon. Her story of survival was just beginning. Juliana woke up around 9 a.m. on Christmas Day. She knew it was 9 a.m. because her watch was still working. She said her first thought was, I survived an air crash. Falling two miles out of the sky, hitting the ground, and surviving. Seems like you'd have better chances of hitting the Powerball. So, how did it happen? Apparently, there were a few different factors all working together that allowed Juliana to survive the fall. First, she'd had her seatbelt on. This prevented her from being thrown off of the row of seats she was strapped to. Second, the row of seats was rotating, sort of like helicopter blades. They slowed her fall, acting like a parachute of sorts. It's been speculated that an updraft from the thunderstorm further slowed her fall. And third, when she crashed, the jungle canopy probably caught the row of seats, cushioning her fall before she hit the ground. I thought for sure that Juliana Kupka must have the world record for distance survived in a fall without a parachute, but turns out others have survived even higher falls. 
For example, in World War II, U.S. Army Air Force Staff Sergeant Alan McGee fell out of his B-17 after it was hit by anti-aircraft guns in Saint-Nazaire, France in 1943. He fell 22,000 feet and lived. That's over four miles. He fell through the glass roof of a train station and was found dangling on the steel girders that supported the ceiling. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, the all-time longest fall survived was by a flight attendant named Vensa Volovich in 1972, when a bomb in a suitcase exploded, blowing the plane she was on to pieces. She fell over 33,000 feet. That's over 10,000 meters, or well over six miles. She spent 16 months in the hospital, 27 days in a coma, and broke a lot of bones, but survived. In 2009, a journalistic investigation claimed the aircraft had broken up at a much lower altitude. But since their evidence was purely circumstantial, Guinness still has Volovich as the all-time record holder. So Juliana was not the first or the last to fall miles out of the sky and survive. But hers is a two-in-one survival story, because now she had to find her way out of a jungle. When Juliana woke up and looked around, she was alone. Although her row of seats had slowed her fall, she didn't land without injury. She had second-degree burns, a broken collarbone, a ruptured ligament in her knee, deep cuts on her legs, and a gash on her right arm. When she called out for her mother, for anyone, all she heard back were the sounds of the jungle. She and her mother had been seated next to one another, so she was hopeful that they wouldn't have landed too far apart. But the crash site sprawled out over a huge area, and her mother could be anywhere. She found wreckage of the plane, suitcases scattered across the ground, and pieces of twisted metal, but no mother. Inside of a bag, she found a package of candy. This would be her only food source for the next ten days. She had lost her glasses in the crash, as well as one of her shoes. As she wandered around, she used her shoed foot to test the ground in front of her to make sure she wasn't stepping on any camouflaged snakes, some of which simply looked like a pile of dry leaves. There are 17 venomous snake species in the Amazon, including several species of vipers, bushmasters, rattlesnakes, and coral snakes. One species of bushmaster can grow up to 10 feet long, or 3 meters. Juliana didn't know where she was. She knew she was in the jungle, but had no way of knowing which way held the fastest route to civilization. The Amazon rainforest is colossal. It's 2.72 million square miles, or 6.9 million square kilometers. That's almost as large as all 48 contiguous U.S. states. Juliana knew she had to move. Rescue planes were searching for the wreck, and she could even hear them overhead, but the jungle was so thick they couldn't see the crash site. She remembered that her father told her if she were ever lost in the jungle, she should find and follow a creek, because a creek will lead to a stream, and a stream will lead to a river, where she would be most likely to find help. So that's what she did. She found a creek nearby and began walking slowly, painfully, downstream. She was wearing a short, sleeveless dress and one shoe. As she moved down the creek, she began to see more of the wreckage. The plane had completely broken apart in the air, so it was scattered over a large area. When she turned a corner in the creek, she came upon a row of seats with three women still strapped into them. They were all dead. 
Unlike Juliana's seat, theirs had not landed in the jungle canopy, and the extreme impact drove them two feet into the ground, head first. It was the first time Juliana had ever seen a dead body. She couldn't tell who they were as their heads were deep in the earth. One of the bodies had the shape of her mother, and Juliana was terrified that she had just found her mother's body. She grabbed a stick and used it to pull the shoe off of the body. The woman's toenails were painted. Immediately, Juliana felt a rush of relief. Her mother never used nail polish. It couldn't have been her. Juliana waded on through the water. The candy went fast, and she began to worry she would starve. At one point, she heard the sound of a king vulture land. This was something she recognized from living at her parents' research station. She knew these birds only landed when they smelled carrion, and she knew then that there must be more bodies around. She stayed in the water as she trekked, day after day, night after night, in a constant, exhausting march. She did not want to die, and she knew the only thing that was going to save her was herself. It was December, which is summer in Peru. The daily highs can reach into the 90s Fahrenheit or the 30s Celsius. But the nights can grow cold, especially if you're wet from wading in water all day. It rained often, too, drenching the teenager several times a day. But the weather was nothing compared to the bugs. They were biting relentlessly, especially at night, and made sleep difficult, even with the level of exhaustion she was experiencing. After a few days, she felt something inside of the gash on her arm. When she examined her injury, she discovered a fly had laid eggs inside of her wound, and it was now full of squirming maggots. She was afraid now that she would lose her arm. Not only was it infested with maggots, but it was now infected. And it wasn't only bugs she needed to worry about. There are a lot of things in the Amazon that can injure or kill a human. Jaguars, snakes, piranhas, devil rays, electric eels, even crocodiles or caimans. She ran into several of these. She said they would swim towards her or even get into the water and approach her, but she remembered not being afraid because she had been told they didn't typically attack humans. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, between 2008 and 2013 alone, there were 43 attacks on humans, some of them fatal. She was lucky none of them took advantage of her injured state. Usually, injured prey makes an easy meal. But the scariest things in the jungle are the smallest. There's the poison dart frog, which harbors enough poison to kill ten people. There's the Brazilian wandering spider, the most venomous arachnid in the world. Its scientific name, Phonutria, means murderous in Greek. They wander along the jungle floor at night, searching for prey. Their bite can cause extreme pain, loss of muscle control, respiratory paralysis, and death. But pain-wise, their bite is nothing compared to the bullet ant. The Schmidt Sting Pain Index rates this insect's bite as the most painful in existence. If one bites you, you become so overcome by excruciating pain that you vomit for 24 hours. Their bite won't kill you, it'll just make you wish you were dead. After 10 days of wandering alone in the Amazon, Juliana was no longer able to stand. She had simply been drifting down the river. She wrote of it later, saying, 
I felt so lonely, like I was in a parallel universe far away from any human being. It was then, in her darkest hour yet, that the delirious, starving, and injured Juliana finally saw something that gave her hope. It was a boat. When she saw the boat, she thought she was hallucinating. It wasn't until she reached out and touched it that she knew it was real. She felt an adrenaline shot strike through her body. It was the shock of experiencing that now foreign feeling of hope. She saw there was a small beaten path leading up the riverbank from the boat. Feeling a little stronger from the rush of adrenaline, she made her way up the trail. There were no people, but there was an empty hut with a palm leaf roof. There was also an outboard motor with fuel inside the tank. She remembered that once her father had treated the wound of a dog, much like the infected wound full of maggots on her arm, by pouring gasoline onto it. So she siphoned some of the gas out of the motor and spit it into her open, infected wound. She spoke later of how intense the pain was. But the gasoline seemed to work. The maggots started writhing as many of them crawled out of the wound, trying to escape the effects of the gas. But some of them chose to retreat further into the hole in her arm. She reached in and pulled out as many as she could. She counted around 35 of them. I know this all happened half a century ago, but I can't help but feel empathy for this kid, alone and injured in the Amazon, just trying to hang on any way she could. After treating her wound, she thought about her options. There were really only two. The first was take the boat and travel down the river until she came upon people. This would have certainly been a way to find rescue. Or two, she could sit and wait and hope someone came back for the boat eventually. She chose to wait, not because it was the smartest thing to do, she didn't know if it was. Not because she didn't know how to use a boat, she did, but because she didn't want to steal the boat from its owner. She chose to chance death rather than take something that wasn't hers. She spent the night at the hut. In the morning, she woke to the familiar sounds of the Amazon. But this time, there was something else mingled with the birds and the rustling of wind through the trees. She heard voices, human voices, the first she'd heard in 11 days. They were the voices of men, local lumberjacks arriving at the hut. She was not afraid and said it was like hearing the voices of angels. The lumberjacks were alarmed at seeing this bloody, starving teenager at their worksite. Juliana had spent her entire life in Peru, so she explained in Spanish what had happened to her, and the men immediately began treating her wounds and giving her food. The next day, they took her to the neighboring village, where a local pilot airlifted her to the hospital in Pucallpa. Her wounds were treated, and another 50 maggots were pulled out of her arm. It was here that she was reunited with her father. When he saw her, he couldn't speak. He had thought he'd lost his entire family. The two of them just held each other in silence for a long time. Juliana learned she was the only person believed to have survived the crash. Search teams were still combing the jungle for wreckage. Normally, it's best to stay at a crash site until help arrives, but no one found the wreckage of Lanza Flight 508 until January 12th, which would have meant a total of 17 days in the jungle alone if she hadn't moved. In her case, striking out on her own had been the right thing to do. 
She assisted search crews in finding the crash site, and on the 12th, they found it, along with the remains of her mother, Maria. Juliana was heartbroken when they told her that her mother had survived the initial impact of the crash, but had died of her wounds several days later. It's possible she heard her daughter calling out for her, but couldn't respond. After her recovery, and it was a full recovery, Juliana eventually moved to Germany. She avoided media attention following her rescue, but she became a celebrity of sorts anyway, receiving hundreds of letters from strangers. She followed in her parents' footsteps, obtaining a doctorate in biology. She returned to Panguana to research her dissertation, an ecological study of a Peruvian bat colony, which was published in 1987. In 1998, filmmaker Werner Herzog made a TV documentary about her incident. He felt connected to Juliana's story because he had been scheduled to travel that fateful Christmas Eve night on Lanza Flight 508, but had missed it due to a schedule conflict. In 2011, she published an autobiographical account of her ordeal titled, When I Fell from the Sky. Unlike the vast majority of people I cover in this podcast, Juliana Kupka is still alive. She married and now goes by Juliana Diller. Since 1989, she has been the deputy director of the Bavarian State Collection of Zoology in Munich, working as head of the museum's special library. In 2000, her father passed away, and she took over as Penguana's director and main organizer of research expeditions to the station. She has always kept her connection with the life and wilderness of Peru. To this day, she says she still feels guilt over the way her mother died. It's doubtful the teenage Juliana could have saved her mother's life, even if she had found her. But guilt and regret don't seem to care much about logic, do they? Juliana survived, then went on to apply that same will, endurance, and resilience to achieve all the things she wanted to achieve. When writing about achievement and success, Juliana recalled something her father had told her. The words of her father had helped guide her through the trials she endured in the Amazon, and they continued to guide her throughout her life, even after he was gone. When we have really resolved to achieve something, he told her, we succeed. We only have to want it, Juliana. Thank you so much for listening to the incredible history of Juliana Kupka. I hope it inspired you the way it did me. The next time I find myself overwhelmed, I'm going to think of that 17-year-old kid pouring gasoline into her maggot-infested arm. And remember that whatever it is I'm frustrated with maybe isn't so bad. I'll be back again in three weeks with more history for you. In the meantime, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at historycashpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to help support the show, you can check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash historycashpodcast. You can also make a one-time donation. You can access the link for that on the website under the support tab. That website is historycashpodcast.podbean.com. Thank you so much for listening. As an independent podcaster, I know how much every download counts. I truly appreciate your listening. Sound effects and background music were licensed through Envato Elements, theme songs from Audio Jungle. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay smart, and keep surviving. Until we meet again, go make some history.